Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. The banking world has been going crazy the last few months. Interest rates are way up. Banks are failing. And loans are getting harder to get. So, this is a good time for a follow-up conversation with my source for all things banking, Len Morrissey. Len spent many years as a loan officer at several Boston area banks, then acted as rapid CFO for eight years, making sure we had access to capital, and most recently co-founded and runs a business loan underwriting practice, which means he and his team review business loans for banks when they have too much work for their own staff. Len and his team have processed hundreds of millions of dollars in loan applications for lines of credit, equipment purchases, and facility mortgages. Len is so on top of what is happening in bank lending today, and I pepper him with questions on what banks are looking for. Then we actually go through a mortgage I'm applying for right now for commercial property, covering all aspects of the term sheet. If you don't know what a term sheet is, this is where you will find out everything you could imagine about it. This episode is a solid nuts and bolts episode on financing, and Len is amazing. He provides so many insights on how best to work with banks. Listen closely and cash in. Len, welcome back to the Job Shop Show. Hey, Jay. Good to be here again. It was, what, it's been three or four years, I think? Well, it's been three or four years since we've gotten together on the show here. Podcast. For listeners, we are friends beyond the show. Len worked with me at Rapid. He came on board as the CFO, left as the president, and he added so much value to the company through his commercial banking experience. And, and that's why we're having you back on today because banking is again in the news and you've pivoted. You have a new career, a company that you started. Tell me about that. What are you doing these days? Thanks for having me on, Jay. Yeah, and I started about, actually, it was after, in all transparency, it was after a conversation with you, Jay, and you told me to lean into, I guess, what I knew, what I knew well. So I, I avoided banking for 10 years or so in many ways. In fact, when I say, when I tell people what I do, I call myself a recovering banker because I was in banking <laughs> for 17 years, 18 years. But around, I guess, this time, three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, we formally met it. I created this company and got my, uh, my one of my best friends, Tony, 
I got him to retire for being a doctor. And I said, Tony, we're going to start a banking company. And the company's called Morrissey Metcalf and Associates, even doesn't, even though it doesn't sound like a banking company. What, what we do is we underwrite commercial loans for a variety of institutions all over the country. And those include banks, of course, we have banking clients, and mm-hmm. we're, we're situated all over the country as well. I'm in New York slash Massachusetts, Tony's in Alabama, we've got people all over the country. But what we do is we underwrite for banks and credit unions and SBA lenders like Certified Development Corporations called CDCs and mm-hmm. LSPs, which are loan service providers, lender service providers, which sort of the intermediary between the SBA and clients. And so what underwriting really means, a lot of people get confused, but what it really means for us anyhow, is that when a bank, for example, it's easy to talk about banks, when a bank Uh receives an opportunity, let's say it's a $5 million real estate loan with some equipment and some line of credits and and whatnot, what they'll do is they'll package it up from a salesperson. They'll give it to their internal underwriting team to review, analyze, and write in a document that can be approved by themselves, their boss, or a committee. And sometimes when, when the banks or these other institutions that we work with, if they're too busy, they're like, well, we can't get out this loan for four or five, six, seven weeks. And then the client's okay. left going, you know, I need this loan. You know. So when you say underwriting, it's, yep. I'm going to jump in as you say, Please. It, it's, it's a, you apply for a loan, someone applies for a loan and right. the bank in the underwriting process has to say yes or no, this loan makes sense or doesn't make sense, or it makes sense, but only under these conditions. Is that a good summary? That's absolutely right summary. Yeah. So, so a bank, and, and of course there are thousands of banks out there, mm-hmm. they have their own policies and their own risk profile, but effectively they'll say, here's a commercial lending opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and now we need someone to review it based on our policies, our procedures, our risk tolerances, and to give a recommendation on whether or not we should do it. Yes. So the underwriter is the one that sort of takes all this massive amounts of information and it puts it into a file, a written file, like a, a Word document or whatnot. It's co- typically called a loan memo in a way that someone can read it and say, yep, I see all the risks. I see all the benefits. I see the profitability. I see the collateral, you know, collateral that we have for the loan, so forth and so on. But it's in a package and that package can sometimes be two pages or it could be 150 pages. Typically, mm-hmm. Typically for a normal size, small to medium sized business, you know, you're looking at 20 to 50 pages where someone's analyzing that. So we, we just, we just put it in a neat little package so someone can say yes or no to affect it to, to your point. Do you, since you are a third party, do you provide an opinion or you're providing the information for them to make an opinion? It's a great question. So of course we never provide an opinion. Now, <laughs> Thank you, my attorney. Say yes. No, no. We we can't. We don't want to do that for risk purposes. We're we're not benefiting from the interest or whatnot. So we're providing, based on their risk tolerances and their policy, we're provided as if we were them, but not specifically saying you should do it. I'm going to make the analogy for part manufacturing. So a company can design their own parts, which would be the bank doing their own underwriting, or they could go out and hire a independent contract design firm, industrial design firm or whatever to design it. And then they would provide the product company with that. And then the product company would 
go out and get it manufactured, make the decisions. But okay, that's an easy way for me to think about it. Yeah, well, in in fact, in many ways, it's like if you get a file and a CAD file and someone asks you to make a part, your engineer might call their engineer and say, listen, this material is going to sort of, this material is not great. Maybe you should try plastic instead. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do that, maybe you don't, or maybe like you might, you might opine on something, but at the end of the day, you're not taking responsibility for the, for the. Right. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So gotcha. we're kind of doing that again, we're assessing, but we're assessing it based on this risk profile. So it's, it's muddy, but we always say we don't opine on it because, you know, if we're working for a large bank and, and it's a lot of risk. Yeah. For us. And you guys are putting through pretty substantial dollars in loans that you're underwriting, right? Yeah, we're a pretty small team. We're right now seven people, but in the last year and a half, we've underwritten 730 million, so almost a billion dollars in loans. And and that is probably near 300 loans. So that's two and a half million on average loans. So the small, so some some loans are 200,000, some are 30 million. But yeah, almost a billion dollar mark. So this is why I wanted to get you back on. You are seeing the nitty gritty, sort of the underbelly of this whole process. You've got a lens on what's happening today and maybe what banks and the other places that are coming to you for underwriting have has the criteria changed at all are they asking you to present in different ways or adding or deleting information or i want to get into the whole climate today but is that happening or is it still you just do the same old thing it's a great question jay because one of the things we do differently than a lot of companies that are like us is that we want to personalize a loan memo. So we want to personalize the underwriting. Now, it might not be good from a pure economic standpoint. We're not, it's not one product, right? Work, right. every single bank has their own chief lending officer and their own risk profile, and they want stuff in and they want stuff out, depending on who they are. So we have, for all the institutions that we deal with, we write a unique model, you know, in manufacturing terms for every one of them. Mm-hmm. It might be the same part, you know, it could be a phone cover, right? But, but every single one of them wants something different, and we've got a We've got to understand that and we've got to document that. We've got to make sure. So, so yeah, they're all asking for things differently. Now, if your question relates to, are they asking for things differently now versus six months ago? Not really, not really. It's it's more about the, uh, we'll get into this, but it's more about the new world and the higher interest rates and how do we actually mm-hmm. get things to work versus any real true risk changes or any anything going on there. Gotcha. Well, let's jump into one of the big things that has happened in the mm-hmm. last six months much more recently and that's the collapse of silicon valley bank and all the other banks and other banks that have had some runs on them what happened what's going on there you you, you read different things in the news and that but what is not getting reported or is there a different way to think about it it's really interesting because, you know, I've read a lot about it and I've got different perspectives on it, but even experts define it differently. All I can tell you is this, Jay, and I don't know exactly, I know there are some things that were a little fishy, some things that I, th- I think they're, they weren't monitored by the government as much as other banks. They were sort of slipping underneath the radar in many ways. So I think that their reserves were lower than they should have been. I think, I think they, they did some things that were a little conspicuous, but, but anything, I want everyone to understand this. What's the what's the Christmas movie where they had the run on the bank? Oh my gosh, I keep forgetting. A Christmas a story? Wonderful, wonderful a wonder, life. It's a wonderful life, right? So any bank out there 
that takes deposits in, and I think you wrote a post about a great post about this recently on LinkedIn. But any any bank that takes in deposits need to use those deposits from a lending perspective, right? So they need to push them out into the market and get an interest rate on them to make any money. Otherwise, people would never put their money into a bank. Uh, uh-huh. So any bank, if it had a run on, which means all the depositors came and asked for the money today, any single bank out there would go under. Any bank. Yep. Because it's impo- no bank has all the 100% of the deposits. So, so Their deposits are being used as loans so they would have to call all the people who they loan money from and say give us this money in 24 hours which is not going to happen which is not going to happen because the money is wrapped up in real estate is wrapped up right. in equipment and sometimes airball which means there's no collateral whatsoever so so it, it's what, what i thought was really interesting not specifically the bank i mean there's so many banks to bound to fail right what was mm-hmm. people's responses to like let's take all our money out of all the banks now well, that only exasperates the problem. <laughs> and, and most, I think the banking industry, generally speaking, in the world, but especially in North America, is pretty darn solid and strong. But, you know, I, I don't want to get to the reasons why, because I really don't know, Jay. I've, I've read a lot about the Silicon Valley Bank, and it seems that there's a whole bunch of issues with that. But in general, I think the banking industry is really strong and has really good metrics and people's money is protected. Just don't run out and take everything out. If you're going to do anything, you know, maybe like you used to do, throw deposits. If you've got a lot of cash, throw deposits in different banks. So you're under the FDIC, which is a quarter, I believe it's a quarter of a million dollar now. So put, so if you got a lot of money, put them in different banks and they're going to be protected by the government. But that's a hassle. It is a hassle. Let's talk about that. You got to, sure. let's say you, well, if you're a larger shop and you're running payroll yep. and maybe you're paying every week, maybe you're paying twice a month and it's over a quarter million dollars, it, that's a pain in the ass. So what other strategies are there besides having a banking relationship with 10 different banks? Yeah, it, it's a great point because if you have a big payroll and your payroll is over, you know, let's say you do payroll every two weeks and it's over 250, then you got to be switching and you got to be doing, it's a pain in the butt. So th- there, there are a lot of strategies. One, one of the strategies I used to employ way back when, I, I don't do it now because I'm not directly in the banking, was using sweep accounts. And I, I don't exactly know the specific details on how to actually do it anymore, but I know, you know, every, every good bank has a sort, sort of a, a treasury management group. Basically, uh-huh. you can sweep from a treasury account that's fully protected, 100%. Into the account, into a line of credit type of thing, sort of backed by a line of credit that's backed by the treasury account. So, so there there are strategies where you can protect it. You just got to talk to the treasury management folks at the banks themselves, and you got to say, "Here's my dilemma. Help me find a solution." I don't know all the solutions anymore because I'm not directly involved in that, but there are solutions. But that's for active accounts. So, if you've got passive income which, or passive dollars, which means you're not really using them. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you can say, okay, I'll throw in some money on this side. Some money. And it's, you don't have to actively manage it, but it's, it's, still, it's still a little bit of a pain. And, but it depends yeah. on what your tolerance is yourself. I'm going to jump in with some things that I've observed or things that I'm actually looking at myself or have done. And so sweep accounts, I think anyone who, and I don't know what, what dollars it makes sense or not. But as you said, almost every bank offers sweep accounts. And if your bank doesn't offer a sweep account and you've got 
more than 250 or you know maybe a lot more than that you you got a million dollars you've got 2 million dollars you should be using a sweep account yes and so the strategy that i've seen employed is let's say you have a payroll of a half million dollars is to have a open account and there's some risk here but basically do about 150% of your payroll Mm -hmm. And that'll cover your ongoing expenses as well as your quarterly your, your, one, pay, one thing, your pay, yep. payroll thing. Yeah. And so you may have, let's say you have a half million, excuse me, so half million payroll. So you'd have 750,000 in your exposed account, yep. and but you have two and a half million in cash. And I know some people listening are like, wow, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> but you're a larger shop that that's the numbers became definitely become more real like this is you have your sweep account so that every night it gets swept then that's what they call they sweep the money out of your regular account into the sweep account so if the bank goes out of business overnight it doesn't go back in and but every day it sort of it evens up and it takes money in and out of the sweep account to keep that seven hundred and fifty thousand balance roughly yeah, the same that's absolutely right, Jay. You're actually giving me a lesson, a real lesson, because it's been a while since I've done that. But you get the benefit not only of the protection of the asset, which is the cash, yes. right? But you get interest. So, so you you get some right. Yes, great point. You get a lot more interest in your sweep account than you do in your yeah the regular, regular account, account, which probably is nothing, right? So, so if you depending on your dollar size, you you get a you get a return, an investment return. So, it mm -hmm. you know. A lot of times when we when I used to do these sweep accounts, I never really did them. We have the treasury account, the treasury groups do them within the bank, but I guess it was part of them. You, you, there's always a cost benefit relationship, right? So what's the cost of the protection of your asset? What's the cost of the sweep transactions? Because sometimes they can be costly, sometimes they're not. It depends on the bank, yeah. right? And you can negotiate. Yeah. So, but yeah, so if you're but if you're really worried about it and you do have big payrolls and big because I, I know a lot of companies. At, at Silicon Valley Bank had that problem, right? They had $10 million or $5 million or $4 million into their payroll account, and they can't, they can't pay their payroll the next day. So, right. so yeah, so that, that helps protect that, but there's other benefits to it as well. Right? Well, I think the fees, even if there are some with the sweep, the delta in the interest rates between what you should get in the sweep account versus what you're getting <laughs> in your bank account are, it, it's so extreme. And I'll share a story, I, my daughter, called me a couple of weeks ago and she said, dad, I'm looking at my bank account and I have $30,000 in my savings account here and I'm getting like 0.5% interest. And is there, this doesn't seem like I'm getting enough money. Is there a better way to do it? And she very easily opened up a Fidelity account and Fidelity is based in the Boston area. It's the they're, they're everywhere here, but it could be a Charles Schwab, it could be TD Ameritrade, and Fidelity and these other institutions, they, they make it so easy to get what I'll call a fair interest rate today. Yeah. So without doing anything, she is now getting 4.5% roughly on her money. And we also talk, though, about you can buy treasuries there's treasury bills and treasury bonds the yep. bills are shorter term bonds are longer term and the shorter treasury bills are three months so if you're not going to be using the money for three months there's always which something that happened at 
Silicon Valley Bank, as the interest rates went up, the value of their bonds, more so than their bills, went down. But you can get a little more interest by buying a three-month treasury bill. And it is so easy to do. She actually went and did that on, I think she probably did it on her phone because she doesn't use a computer. <laughs> yeah, it gets I'm, 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 I'm old school. Yeah, um, and then just for grins, because she's not going to be using it, she also bought a CD, a, I think a six-month CD. And so there's all these different ways that I don't like CDs because there's typically penalties if you withdraw your money early, whereas a treasury bill, you can sell it the next day and you have access to your cash. Fidelity has money market funds. And there's bottom line though, is it right now it's easy, or I should say easy, it is possible without a lot of effort to get four and a half to five percent interest. And if you're not using the money, like you said, passive, wow, you're leaving a lot of money on the table if you have your money in a checking account is still getting 0.1%. Well, it, it's a great, it's a great point. And it, it always comes down to, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, curiosity, right? And what I mean by that is someone saying, someone asking the question, is that right? This, what, if interest rates are going up, therefore, theoretically, rates on deposits are going up. And so but is, is asking that question, like your daughter, she asked herself that question, then she went to you and then she went to Fidelity. So you got to ask that question all the time. When, when you're in business, whether it's interest rates or whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, right? So it, mm -hmm. it comes down, and then once you have that, there's so much great information online and it's so easy now. It really is easy. Now, to your point though, Jay, I I had a deposit, I have it at a credit union in, I've, I've gotten in several spots, but credit union, it was a CD and mm -hmm. it's locked in. It was a, at the time, it was a 12 month or 24 month CD. And breaking it destroys it, right? So, yeah. so I'm sitting here. Going, you give back all your interest that you've earned. I got, I've got a year, a year or so of 1.5 percent. And at the time, yes. it was pretty good. Now it's horrible. So, so you know, I'm putting it down. I just wrote a note as you were saying this because I deal, I deal mostly with it on the lending side. But I've got to do an analysis and see if it's better for me to break it and put it in something new. It probably is. So I'm going to do that right after we talk. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yep. So the other aspect though of going to fidelity they the money market funds there are investing in treasuries i was looking at this before and at least 80 percent of their of the money market funds are in treasury bills or similar type thing so yep. you know, the u.s government's going to have to go out of business before you lose money right. and you're not losing money have, on that we, we have worse problems yes so you've got your the sweep accounts, they're going into typically treasuries as well, government funds. So you, you get a lot of security. But here's the thing that is going to get into part of what's affecting the lending climate today is the effective ratio. If you deposit a $100 at the bank, they can effectively, the way the numbers all work, lend out $1,000 against that. and when you take your money out of the checking account or savings account at the bank and you put it into a Fidelity or a Sweep account, all of a sudden that money is not available by the bank to lend. Right. And you think about the, the 10X amount. So if they lose 25% of their funds because they're not willing to pay a higher interest rate, they have a lot less money to lend. Right. And Let's jump in there. 
what are you seeing in the lending environment today? Interest rates are way up. So yes. that, that, that affects numbers, but there's other things in play as we just talked about. What are yeah. you seeing? Yeah, well, no, it's 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 interesting, and it's it, frankly, we deal with sort of four different quadrants, right? Banks, credit unions, and these SBA institutions, and they're all experiencing slowdowns. Every single one of them, and of course, by proxy, our company is slowing has slowed our rate of growth has slowed down quite a bit because mm-hmm. we were doing the overrides of new deals. So I think what's happening, sort of generally speaking, is that there is a lot of money out there. The banks. Banks still have a lot of capacity in their reserve, which, to your point, is their ability to be able to lend money. So there's a ton of that out there. They're trying to find companies to give money to. Okay. And and what's interesting, so you asked what's out there. I'm kind of sidetracked a little bit, but even though COVID was horrible and it really hurt a lot of companies, especially customer-facing companies, there are a lot of, and I, I have to tell you, we deal a lot with the SBA. I would say... For the 350 loans we looked at in the last year and a half, 75% of them, Jay, are better off than they were three years ago. It's crazy. Really? Yeah. Well, because they, they got an influx of cash, which is the right thing to do. I think in many ways yeah. it's the right thing. To do. Okay. The, the level of how much, maybe, maybe not, right? Well, we could argue that all day long, but PPP really helped a lot of companies. So even though the inflation is growing through the roof and the interest rates really, really has, has gone higher, we're not talking about the residential world. We're talking about the commercial right. business world, right? There, there's a lot of companies out there that have solid balance sheets, you know, extra hmm. cash in their balance that's, sheet. That's good lot, to hear. Yeah. And a lot more cash flow. And mm-hmm. so, so the banks are, they're really not fighting against, the tide they're fighting against right now is a business customer saying, I could get a loan for 2 to two or 3% and now I've got to pay 7 or 8%. And in some cases, 10 to 12%. And we've gotten back into the business. One of the things I didn't tell you about the, our company, because you're one of my first customers really, is we are now going back to consulting and helping clients find good capital around the country. So we're actually oh. doing some of that as well, because we got the, I had the capacity and Tony had the capacity and our, yes. our underwriting manager do it. And so we're actually finding a lot of people looking to do loans for, for our customers, but there is a gap in a psychological gap really, of, and, and, mm-hmm. and a realistic one of the rates are high. My, you know, my, the equipment loan would have been 3000 a month. Now it's 3,800 and that doesn't work. So there's a bit of that adjustment going on, but banks are not struggling from a cash or reserve standpoint, as much as a a business a psychological standpoint, if that makes any sense. Gotcha. No. Okay. Do you think that will, the reserves will erode though as more people say, I'm not going to settle for a half percent interest or whatever, and they take their money out of the banks and put them into more of the safer treasury based it yeah. it's a, it's a earning? Problem. Yeah, 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 and it's, yeah. it's a real good point. I'm not hearing a lot about that, except for a couple of banks, but they were banks that had trouble, kind of like small Silicon Valley banks where they were doing. Okay. I don't hear that as being a high risk, to be completely gotcha. fair, but because they still have plenty of reserve left to be able to lend. So it, it, it may it may be a curve that will hit at some point, but that that at this point in time is not a big deal. No, again, who knows, Jay, how long this inflation mm-hmm. lasts and the rates last it could become, but right now it doesn't seem to be from my perspective anyhow. Let's talk about getting a loan and what, have you put your old commercial banker hat on? And so I, I'm coming in and I'm saying, Len, 
I want to do this equipment loan or this real estate loan. Tell me how you are looking at me. And and I think it's important. We'll, we'll preface it as commercial banker is this really impressive title, but really you are a salesperson for the bank. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're talking to a salesperson who actually is trying to get you the loan because they don't get paid their commission or whatever, unless they, they get the loan. So they're incentivized, but what are you looking at? You're because you're saying, all right, am I going to get this guy a loan or not? Right. How does that happen? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a great question. So as a, as a, it's funny because commercial lenders is what we used to call ourselves 20 years ago. And now they're more called business development officers. And to your point, <clears throat> when you call yourself a BDO, you're probably not a lender. And what a lender means is, you know, you kind of know how to underwrite. Oh. But so I was always a commercial lender, but the reality is that I was only as good as my sales. So if I couldn't get Jay and his company, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, when I came to the U S then that, you know, then I would struggle or I may get fired or whatnot. Right. So as, as a lender slash salesperson, and really are, they are salespeople, lenders are salespeople because, because, you know, the typical, if you take a random lender in the country, anywhere in the country, they'll probably have a goal of 10 to $15 million in loans a year. Almost everybody mm -hmm. does, you know, fluctuate yep. small, right? So when a salesperson slash lender finds an opportunity like Jay comes into the office or we go visit your location, what well, we're looking for a few things, right? We're looking for one, a real business. And what that means is a business that actually sells, has profits, you know, has people, <laughs> and has more importantly, all that has a need for something. So there's tons of times we used to go to, go to see a client and, and they're like, I don't need you. So like, why am I doing right? So, but you, you got, you got to have a real business. You got to have people, you got to have profits and you got to have a need. And then once you have those and, and you seem to be a reasonable person, then we're sitting and saying, okay, what, what's your needs? Do you need equipment? So manufacturing, oh, we love manufacturers because you've got heavy equipment that lasts forever and it's good collateral. So, the, you know, where you got real estate, maybe a line of credit for accounts receivable, financing, all that kind of stuff. So, so that's all great. We meet with you. We hope we like you. We see that's a real business. And then the nervous time for a lender or salesperson is, can you send me your financial information? So mm -hmm. you can be the best company, nicest person in the world with a great looking company and wonderful, and you should be financials and you're like losing money all the time. Then it's like, all right, I guess we're on to the next business. So you got to really evaluate the financial, you know, it all comes down to the financials. If the financials are good, have that's those type of things. Then a lender says, okay, I'm excited. Now we can work with you. If the, if everything else is great, but the financials are bad, he's going to move on or she's going to move on to somebody else. How can you influence the financials so they look better? Are there- You as a client, things? you mean? Yeah, I'm the client. Let's say my CPA is telling me to do something which from a bank perspective doesn't look good. What what might some of those things be? Well, you know, it's so interesting because off a tangent here, but people think that banks have a, a box that you put all the information into and it comes up with a number. It's not really yeah. like that. The first person you have to convince is the person. So as, as a business owner, right? So you look mm -hmm. across the, the table at your banker and you got to convince that banker that, man, we got to do business with Jay or Len, right? We, we both have to do it now on our side. So you, you can convince them and then they'll help you navigate their bank's policy, the risk tolerance, and what you need to do to get it better. Now, there's things you can do beforehand, of course, like, for example, be prepared. So if you know you're going to meet with a banker, 
you know, don't don't come and have a napkin with a sales number and a profit number, right? So, so I, I remember it's funny because I was a banker a long time, and that when I went in with you, you said to me we were going to meet with one of the banks. I think it was Donna Upson. I think Donna was great. I met Donna yeah. by the way a few months ago at the conference. But huh. you said, why don't we show them our impressive revenue numbers on one sheet? And and that there was was great, Jay. Right? So. It, it, I, I, all we showed them was that. We didn't show them anything else. Now, we had all the information ready to go if they needed it. We had the financials, the current financials. We had three years financial returns, current year to dates. We had the balance sheet, profit and loss, accounts receivable, accounts payable, all the normal package stuff. We had all that ready to go. And that is a great sign. That means you're prepared, you know what you're doing, and you're ready for them, right? But you also said, Here's one slide. Now look at how impressive it is. Now you didn't say that, or I didn't mm-hmm. say that to the banker, but they said, oh my God, I can't wait to go in and tell my boss who's the signer that they're a great company. So it's, it's so there's things you can do beforehand and you can get them excited and then they'll work hard for you. If, you, if you're, for lack of a better phrase, if you're an ass, sorry for the language, you can beep it up. And, you, and the banker goes, I really don't like Jay. Or I don't, Len's a, Len, I just don't like Len. Then they're going to go back and go, they're a good company, but eh, I don't know if I can trust them. So it's like, mm-hmm. you got to have a relationship. It's not just about the numbers. But there are lots of things beforehand that you can, you can be even prepared. It, it reminds me, I know I'm going off the tangent, with you, why I really liked you as a client. And I said this in the last podcast. The, the moment you were a client, every single month, you used to yeah. send me, and I, I ended up doing it for the company, but you used to send us a, a full package of what happened last month. It was a write-up, yep. one or two pages. It was all fun. And you know what we used to do, Jay? We used to get that after month three and month four. And I would say, anybody wanted to go, no, just throw it in the file. They wouldn't even look at it. <laughs> you could have had millions of dollars in losses. We were just like, nah, he's good. He's good. You, you know, I'm thinking now I should have just thrown a red herring in there at some you point. You should have. <laughs> no one would have. In fact, the president, the president of, of the bank came down to me one day and said, "We can we find more clients like you? I don't know if I ever told you that. That was uh, Joe. I don't see his name, but, yeah. but he came back and said, "We just need more clients like this because most bankers experience issues with getting information." But so you you can prepare yourself. You can have all the information ready. It's easy. You can go on Google or ChatGPT and say, "What does a bank need?" It'll tell you exactly what most banks need. So being prepared. If you do have red herring, like you said, you didn't have one, but let's say you did have one, you don't hide it. You bring it up right away. You say, here's, right. here's what I, we're that doing. That is a really important point. Yep. Yes. Yep. It, it's, it's, the it's, bank's going to find it. <laughs> yeah, the bank's going to find it. That's what banks are really good at, risk aversion, yeah. right? So yep. as, a, as a customer, you say, here's what happened, here's why, and here's what we're doing about it. And that's what a banker needs to hear is the plan. What's the plan? And that's why a lot of SBA loans are done on projection-based. And what are projections? They're plans. So if you've got really mm. crappy projections, really bad assumptions, the bank's going to go, oh, I really don't like this. But if you've got great projections, great assumptions, you've got a second, maybe a third party looking at it and, and giving their recommendation, all of a sudden the bank, a banker says, I can get behind that. I trust that. Yeah. One thing that I think is helpful is if you actually try to develop a relationship with a bank before you need the money. And could you talk about some strategies there? And, and what I'm thinking in particular was some stuff that we did is we had a line of credit. I don't know if we ever tapped it or not, but yeah, it was a, essentially it was a rainy day fund. Like if shit hit the fan, we had a half million dollars we could withdraw and we didn't have to go 
show the bank some bad numbers or whatever at the time it was there. And then I think we had a plan and we maybe said, we think that in 2015, we're going to spend a million and a half dollars on equipment. And we had that equipment line of credit pre-approved. So we could sign a purchase order and we didn't then have to figure out how to finance it. We, we were ready to have the equipment delivered the next day. The next day. No, Talk about some strategies there. Absolutely, Jay. And it's a really good point, especially in banking, right? So banking is risk aversion, right? It's all about risk tolerance and, 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 and avoiding bad risk. So the best time to get the money from a customer's perspective, and people say this all the time, right? I can only get money when, you know, when things are good. <laughs> well, of course, right? So when things are good, ask for the world and have it right. set up. Right. When things are bad, of course, no one's going to give you the money. It's like, oh, OK, you know, your, your leg is broken and you, you can't run a marathon. Like, I mean, you do it when you're good, not when you're bad. And so it's always better to do that. And even if there's a little fee up front, that's better to have it in place for when you actually need it. You probably don't need it if things are going well. And and to your point, and you're really good at this, Jake. You, you 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 talk to banks. You talk. You had a lot. You have you have a lot of friends who are bankers. People remember you. They go, "Oh, Jay's a great guy." And so, not only one bank, you know, you know a lot of people like me. And you you were friends with them. You had coffee or lunches with them. You befriended them. You maybe had some deposits or not. But you had you, you were never going to say this if anything happened to this one bank or one banker. Because if a banker leaves, who knows what the next banker is going to do? Right. Work hard for you or not? You always had options. But but making sure that you have good relationships with your bankers, treating them really well as much as you can, but also treating them as a commodity, which and I know the banks who are listening to this or my clients are going to hate me for this, but banks are commodities. It's like, you know, the, the only difference, in my opinion, in banks is the person you're dealing with, the banker, right? Yes. And yes. most banks are doing the same thing. Maybe the profile is a little different, or it is a little different. You know, they do things differently. But the reality is, it's who you're dealing with. So maximize who you're dealing with. Find someone you really like. Find someone you know is willing to fight for you. And, and get I, I want to throw out. I want to throw out that bankers have expense accounts, and <laughs> so have them take you out to lunch at a place that you like to go, and exactly. they are happy to do it because yeah. that's part of their job. Yeah. And for you you're developing that relationship yeah and you exactly. get a nice lunch exactly and we even get like when i was a banker we have these certified development corporations that would take us out for lunches so um, so because they they were getting business from us so people think it's this black box where you kind of like the it's a math problem but it's not it's a human problem and yeah. the quicker you know it the quicker you have good relationships the easier it really is i think this is a good point to add that you talked about the relationships that I had, and that was plural. One th thing that I, I talked sometimes to companies or people, it doesn't have to be in the manufacturing world, and they put all their eggs in one basket on one bank. And in my mind, if you are not, if, if, if you don't approach three, four, even more banks when you are looking for money, whether you're doing it up front or down there, the terms are, are all over the place. And unless you actually know that, you're going to not get the best deal that you can. And so it's important to talk to lots of banks and let the banks compete for your business. It, it is. And, you know, bankers all know one another and they all expect that and they all fight for the same piece of business. 
they love bankers. We all love people who don't shop because that means, because it's, it's like a spectrum, mm-hmm. right? So a great deal for a bank, you, you want to find a good deal for the banker and the customer, right? Right. But, but everybody wants a great deal. The customer wants a great deal and the bank wants a great deal. And if you go with one bank, the bank always gets a great deal. Right. And, yep. and you know, gosh, I, I mean, I had a lot of really good friends that were slightly mad at me. But when I was working for you, we changed banks three, three four times in six years. Yeah. And I, I told them all, I was up front with them. I said, here's what we're looking for. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. If you can't do it, we can't go with you. And I'm still great friends with them all. But you got, you got to, you got to have. You got to shop around. You got to shop around. You really got to shop around. It really is important. If you have a great banker, they'll try and do everything you need them to do. But sometimes they can't, depending. If you're a growing yeah. company like you were, Jay, your needs are always changing. If you're one company yeah. that needed one thing, you might stay with them forever. And you can have a great relationship with your lender. However, they are not the ones approving the loan and the terms. It, no. It's out of their hands. As right. much as they like you, as much as they trust you and want to give you the business, they may not be able to. And they may not know the criteria for their bank. They're not fully in the loop on why these decisions and the terms of the deal are being offered the way they are. Yeah, and and... Banks can be fickle. I remember working, I won't, I won't mention the bank, the bank's name because I love the bank. And I love working for them. But at the end of my time with them, the chief lending officer, I was in a meeting trying to get, I don't know, an $8 million deal approved for mm-hmm. a manufacturer company and not your manufacturer, but another one. And he said on the way out, he whispered under his breath, this is 15 years ago. I hate manufacturing companies. We should never finance manufacturing companies. And I, I'm sitting there going, <laughs> He read an article in the New York Times that morning that said manufacturing companies are on a decline because they're going over to China. But I said, in all banking, the best companies are manufacturing companies because they're actually producing stuff. And here we had a chief lending officer that should know better saying that. So, you know, things change all the time. People change. Yeah. So you kind of, you, you need that. You, you kind of need to say, yep, all right. You know, if you can do it for me, great. If you can't, I'll go somewhere else. But you need to have those relationships cured before you actually start doing it too. So it takes work. It's, it really is work. You are underwriting a lot of SBA loans. When should someone consider an SBA loan? Where do they make sense? Why do they not make sense? Yeah, it used to be when I first moved to the U.S. 20, God, 22, 23 years ago, the SBA was a lender of last resort, right? It's only when you can't get it anywhere else with traditional banks. Okay. I always hated it, Jay. I always hate the terminology. And some SPA people still even say that, but it's not real. And, and it does offer companies, for example, that are have maybe shortfalls of collateral, right? So the collateral is not, maybe companies selling to another company. And, and it is a lender of last resort. But the SBA programs out there, and there's a ton of them, but the two main programs is the SBA 504 and the SBA 7A programs. And the 504 is primarily equi- real estate and some equipment. And, and mm-hmm. here's why, why the 504 works really well for, for companies. When you're buying real estate traditionally, you're in the commercial setting, you're probably putting 30, 35% down. So if you got a million dollar piece of real estate, you're going to need to come up with $350,000. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you go SBA route, you're coming up with 10% of it. That's $100,000 for the same property. Mm-hmm. So that means you've got 250000 yeah, I think it's $250,000 in cash 
that you can use for working capital purposes or for hire new employees. So the 504 program really is a great program for commercial real estate that's not, um, you know, apartment buildings. You can't do it for investment real estate, but it's great for those who, who will have good rates, really competitive rates, but have to put less down. And I mean, it, it's a program that should be probably used a lot more. And it's great for the customer because they put less money down. And it's great for banks because if you think about it, when a bank's lending money, right? It's not good for the lender, and I'll tell you why, but for the banks from a risk profile, if a bank says, okay, I'm doing a million dollar loan, or I've got a million dollar real estate, we can give you a $750,000 loan with a, with like a million dollar in collateral, right? The uh -huh. real estate. Or we can do a half a million dollar loan because the breakup is 50% bank, 40% uh -huh. government, of the, uh -huh. of the ventures. So the bank could have a 50% loan to value versus a 75%. So it lowers the bank's risk. So uh -huh. it actually helps the profile. The problem is that bankers tend to, we all tend to get greedy and we want to do conventional loans because they hit our $10 million mark for a year. Right. You, you're only, you're only getting 500,000 rather than 750. Right. Exactly. So, so they're, they're, they're actually, as I tip the mic over here, there's actually some logistical reasons why banks don't do it. But so that's one where the uh, down payments are lower. Seven A's enable companies that struggle with collateral issues. So maybe there's, you know, or, 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 so, so a bank won't do it because there's risk with collateral or not enough collateral. So a bank says, we want to put a guarantee on our loan via the government, so we'll give you the loan. So you could basically do almost any loan and attach it with a 7A, but there are restrictions like size and, and the size of a company, but they're really, really good programs, both in my opinion, for the customer, the, the business and the banks from a risk profile standpoint. Mm. Okay. The timing is good for our conversation because I am putting in place a new mortgage at a business where I'm a partner. I'm, I'm one of three partners and we have a operating company and that is separate from the real estate company. And I think it's super important from a liability standpoint and some other reasons that you never have your operating company, your machine shop or sheet metal shop own the real estate, the real estate you always put in a separate company. Yeah. And, yeah. By the way, the SBA requires that too, as, as an FYI. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. For, oh, for SBA 504, they yeah, yeah. Now they, you know, you can do without, but 99.9% .9 of customers do it. So it's sort of a gotcha. unwritten rule. I don't think it actually is a pure requirement, but that's what they look for. They even have sections for it, but keep going. I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, so this is, and it gets into the, I'll, I'll, I'll say, call it customer service of the banks, whatever. And that not all banks are created equal. Not all lenders are created equal. And I'm not going to name names, but I'll give the details. And what I'd love to do is run through the different term sheets and tell you what I found, how I'm looking at them. And then if you want to comment, but if, if you are getting a mortgage on a new building or you are refinancing or whatever, and you can apply this to equipment too, but I think each of the, of the terms that you get in the term sheet, they're not always clear on what they mean, why they're important, how they can be negotiated. And that's probably a big statement up front is everything can be negotiated. Yes. They may, they may not want to negotiate or, or be willing to negotiate, but 
almost everything can be negotiated with someone. Yes. So, so we had a mortgage. It was a 20-year amortization, meaning the payment was calculated being repaid over 20 years. And at the end of 10 years, the loan came due and we had a balloon of the balance. And it's been 10 years. It's not on our radar. All of a sudden, we get a letter in the mail from the bank that you owe us this. Well, let's just say it's it's half a million dollars. And we're like, what? Yeah. That, that, so, so in other words, that payment is due and you, have, you owe the entire thing. Yep. Right. And so, of course, we immediately call them. Our original lender is no longer with the bank, have to find out who that person is. And they say, we'll give you 90 days to put a new mortgage in place. And okay, great. So we've got some breathing room, but we still need to refinance it. And, and building values have gone up. So we're, we're pretty comfortable that we can get a new loan that we're attractive to banks. And the easy thing would have been to continue the mortgage with this bank. It took over 30 days to get a term sheet from the bank. And when I say term sheet, for you listening, that means that's the, without the hundreds of pages of loan documents, it's the summary of the basics of, of how the loan will be structured, what the bank is offering to you and requiring of you in return. And that term sheet is not approved. That is just, it's more right. like a letter of LOI, letter of interest. A letter of intent, yeah. Of intent. So, yeah, so it took over 30 days and it, it blew my, and we had to ask multiple times for it as well. So we ended up getting bids from four banks. We're in the middle of, of figuring out what we're going to do. So this is active today, but the, First thing that the banks came through was before, they, before you before you start with that, Jay. Yeah. Just, just yeah. I just want to make sure everyone sort of understand this part of it. A bank, this happens a lot, but it should never happen. So, so <laughs> a, 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 what a bank should do is we used to call them tickler systems, right? Just a reminder. Yeah. Well, what, what should happen is that they should be calling you up six months prior. Now yeah. some things slip through the crack, and they should be saying, "Hey, Jay, this is coming up, so let's make sure." And we got something in place, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and and, and but, do it so right. Do it so that you don't have to. You know, you don't make have it to easy. Make, make it easy. It easy. Yeah. So, this lending officer, let's say he's got a ten million dollar quota. You know, this is a half million dollar loan, and so this is potentially one twentieth of his of his quota, and no. it would have been such a slam dunk. Yeah, it, it, the problem. See, this is why the problem with banks. Good banks will incentivize them. This is this probably is not an increase to anybody's amount. So this is really this is yeah this is operations, not sales. So is because it's this is a problem. Uh, but, but, but because yeah. as a lender, if this, if you were in my portfolio, that if I if I renew with you, that doesn't mean anything. If I lose huh. it, that means a lot. So, but but the incentive is to get new business, and the de incentive is to maintain existing business. It's, it really doesn't make any sense because the reality is that you know, bird in the hands worth two in the bush, right? Right. Uh, so, so they're not really incentive now, unless a good a good bank would incentivize them, but they're probably not incentivized the proper way. Gotcha. And that's why gotcha. you didn't get a lot of attention. Just ah, yeah. okay. I I learned something. 
Yeah. I, I mean, who knows with that specific bank, but but that's generally speaking. That, that makes well, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. So the interest rates were all over the place. And in, in when I mean all over the place, out of the four loans, we had a two percent delta between the highest, actually, no, a two and a half percent delta between the highest and lowest. So our lowest quoted rate was five point four four percent. And that's fixed for five years? Fixed for five years. They were all fixed um, for five years, I assume? A couple of them were fixed for 10, I think. Okay, I that's a little different. Look, but, but, but let's say they were all fixed for five. Okay. And the highest, though, was 8%. Yeah. And the 8% <laughs> was our existing bank. <laughs> it, it is risk, risk profile, <laughs> risk aversion, who knows what, it, right? Right. So if you think about it, that is an incredible amount of money saved every year in interest. I'm looking at it and the amount per year is, you know, probably eight, $9,000 in interest. And over, over 20 years, that's hundreds of thousands. That's 150, 200. I don't know. I'm just doing quick math in my head. It's probably not a good idea. That's a lot of money. That's two cars, three cars. That's your, your kids college tuition or your kids. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it matters. The next piece was the amortization period. And so we had a, the low was a 10 year amortization period and the high was a 30 year amortization period. And why that is important is it reduces your monthly payment the longer the amortization period you're paying Correct. the loan back over 30 years as opposed to 10. I, I really liked, I think that the bank we're going to go with, I, I really appreciated the way that they said they would work with us. Okay. They suggested, they gave us both a 10 and a 20 year amortization. They said, we suggest you do the 20 year amortization, but pay on the 10 year. And that way, if you have cash flow constraints, you are not obligated for that delta in payments. You can revert to the 20 year, the 20 year which is a lower payment. However, our cash flow supports paying off at the 10 year. So we would own the building outright sooner. I really like that flexibility. Yeah. What they effectively did there is what, what a lot of lenders will do. They'll say, Okay, we'll give you a 20-year, 25-year amortization, but we'll allow you to prepay it without penalty. Because if, if, you, if a bank locks in a rate for a customer, that's sort of their, their carrying cost. And to mm -hmm. allow a customer to pay it off early is actually hurts their profitability. So what, right. what we used to do in banking, and I think many banks still do this, they'll say, okay, Jay, you know, you, you've got a $4,000 a month payment on your mortgage. We'll allow you... <clears throat> to uh, pay another 500 bucks a month without any kind of penalty, interest rate penalty. So the, what they're doing is even better. They're saying, you can kind of go one or the other. We don't care, just let us know. That's fantastic because you're basically cutting up, you're cutting a lot of interest cost off. And if your cash flow can support it, you're paying it off in 10 years. So that's a really, really, that's a different way to do it than I've seen in a long time. Well, it gets better. Oh, really? Yeah. Was, was this Silicon you, you Valley? Taught, you, taught, you, you taught me well, Len. So I said to him, I, I said, well, let's assume that we're going to go with a 10-year amortization yeah. and the, the rent amount that we're charging ourselves from the operating company, we're, we're pushing the profits to the real estate company. Mm -hmm. And 
I said, let's say that we don't want to distribute the cash to ourselves and we want to pay down more principal, but you have a prepayment penalty. And so they agreed to carve out a $50,000 a year that on top of the 10-year amortization, we can pay off the principal without any penalty. So effectively, you've got a, a five-year amortization, or you've got a five-year rate and an effective problem. I don't know your amount, but it's probably like a seven-year. You could pay you could, you could pay this loan yeah. off in seven years effectively. If we, if we had the cash if you, flow. If you had the cash flow without penalty. Right. And that's a massive thing in banking. That is, that is rare. So you, you, you did quite well there. Well, you, these are the things that you taught me. Everything's negotiable. Right. Because I said to him, I go, well, so, and here's another part of the prepayment. So it's a five-year term. And most of the banks came back. They said a 3% penalty if you paid off the loan the first year, 2% penalty on anything in year two, and then 1% for the next, each of the next three. This bank came back at 5%, 4%, 3%, 2%, 1%. And I just threw it out there. I said, you know, what I'm seeing with all the other banks is the three, two, one, one, one. And can you match that? And okay. so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you don't ask, you don't get. And then I talked about wanting to, if we had extra cash flow, I don't want to, I don't want to pay any prepayment. And he said, well, what we've done in the past with other customers is allow up to $50,000. Like, great, that works. So, we're giving ourselves optionality and it's a question that you can ask. So it is a question about- you ask and you should ask this and that's fantastic. I'm interrupting you, Jay, but it excites me that like, well, I know you will, so I know you're going to do it anyway, but, but everybody can do the same thing. And the more people you're talking, the more, the more, and you don't, you don't have to demand it. You just say, here's what's happening. Here's what I'd like. Tell me what you can do. And more often than not, people will try to be flexible for you. So the, Next thing is an origination fee, which you can tell me where that goes, but it, it varied $500, $1,000. One was a, a quarter of a percent of the loan, which was $1,300. It's just that, that uh, what that is for, for most banks is banks like to generate revenue that's not interest income. And it used to be like 20 years ago, it used to be 1% to 2% of a loan amount. Mm-hmm. And every single time, unless you get someone who wasn't aware you're getting a quarter point max, right? So mm-hmm. that that are the, they're, they're one of the things that every single bank will ask for, and and pretty well you can you can you can whittle whittle them down to almost nothing. And sometimes it's nice. Oh, sometimes okay. it's nice <laughs> to give them five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, especially if you get all the other things. But you really can. It yes. So after I get my revised term sheet, and this podcast will be released after these negotiations. <laughs> My, I'm going to go back to him and say, you know, what can you do on this origination fee? And, you know, maybe I'll get it down from 1300 to 500 up, but it's $800 in our pocket rather than someone else. Yeah. Uh, then there's other costs that you sort of can't get away from that the, the legal fees and all that sort of stuff. That's unless you have a strategy there or. Yeah, you, can, you can ask. I mean, the reality is almost everything is up for grabs. Now, if, if you've got a real estate mortgage, you can't really say, I don't want to give my real estate as, as collateral. You can't really say that. Right, because, right, you know, right. there, there's some yeah, like, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but I will preface it by saying, the stronger the relationship you have with your banker, the stronger your company is, 
the, the better the trajectory is, the more you can have. Now, not everyone in your shoes, Jay, will get what you got. But people will get more than they think. Yeah. Right? A lot and I more should, than and, and I should add that the relationship, there is a banking relationship with the lender with one of my other partners. And I think that that's one of the reasons that they feel really good about this business because he's a great customer of theirs. And so they're willing to work a little bit to get the deal. Whereas we, I, right. I know one of the other bankers, the other two re really didn't know. Didn't know. Um, so that, that helps a little bit. But again, that's not to diminish the fact that you can ask for it all and you could be, and you know, and, and the more options you have, the more likely you're, you're going to get them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking at the initial term. Yeah. One of them was five years. Two of them were 10 years. For a rate? No, no. For locking the rate, yeah. And, and that was a little bit higher, of course, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, the 10-year. No, the oh, no, no, what it does. I'm sorry, it does change, but they're giving us 10 years, whereas. Oh, in the, okay. In the existing, yeah, the existing bank, it was a five-year term. And that, that's actually a good point because the term and rates are sometimes different, right? You can have a 10-year term with a five-year rate. And the rate just resets the end of five year. And what's good about that, Jay, just for your use, is that you're not going to have what happened to you with this other bank where they give you a letter saying after five years, your loan's up. What happens yeah. after five years is that your rate resets, but your loan continues to go on and you continue to amortize it. So, yeah. you know, there is flexibility having a lot of terms, but there's some risk associated with it too. So it sounds like you've got five-year terms with five-year rates and 10-year terms with five-year rates renewing after five years, I think. Yes. Yep. Yep. The, the next thing which we looked at was the debt service coverage ratio. And yep. maybe you could tell folks what that is. Yeah, it's an acronym that uh, bankers love. It's basically what debt service DSCR means is your cash position after all, sort of all expenses, right? So it is. You look at net profit, you add back interest tax, depreciation, amortization, EBITDA, as compared to what you got to pay on a monthly basis for loans. And mm -hmm. for every single bank has a debt service calculation ratio. Every single loan pretty well has to adhere to a certain level of debt service and is usually around 1.15 to 1.3. And it means for every $1.3 you bring in, mm -hmm. your so input is $1 of yep. output. And Banks all use it, whether they actually put it as a condition, as a covenant, for example. A covenant means in a document, of a, and you probably have this for you, it, it basically says you have to make sure that the company's always achieving this ratio. And, and banks love to do that, right? And if you're not achieving this ratio, Jay, we can do something. We call the loan yeah. or we can do some, increase the rate. But, you know, whether it's debt service coverage ratio or debt to equity, it basically says the bank has some recourse or ability to, to do something with this loan that, that might be going bad. For yeah. I don't know if that explains it well enough, but. Yeah. I look at it as you have to be making money. You do. And, and so there, it's a way for them to make sure you're making money and able to pay it back. Yes. We got from one bank, 1.2, another bank, it was general. They, they were sort of vague. They, they said general terms and conditions. I didn't, since I wasn't going to go with them, I didn't ask them. Right. However, the bank we're going with, there's, there's no covenants, no debt service coverage ratio. So 
that made it so attractive too. Is this a letter of is this a letter of interest? Is that what the term sheet? It's a financial it's a financial covenants, none. And I asked him. Beautiful. And this is yeah, this is beautiful. And it but it also goes to show to your point, the re, if when you have a relationship, I I'm surprised they didn't put something in there that they could negotiate away. They didn't put anything in it, and that's here, that's good here's for why. us. Here's why, Jay. They're sitting there going, "This is this is what they were probably thinking is this is an ideal customer. We know we know both parties. They're strong. We'd love to give them more money. Let's make it really easy for them to make an easy decision. And that's yeah. smart banking because they know ultimately who you are and what you're about, and they they believe in you. And if you do and, that, and, for a and bank, the and the loan to value ratio is so low, right? It's, it's so safe. Which is a good point, right? So if the, if, the, if the collateral is thin, which means that the, the loan value is high, the, the loan value is high compared to collateral, then, then they're gonna probably put in covenants so they have the monitor. But this is what good banks do. They assess the situation and say, do we really need it? Yeah. And the, lend, the lender says, you know what? I'm not gonna put in here a debt to equity of 2.25 to one for this real estate deal. This makes no sense. I'm wiping that out. Cash flow, we know the guys are good for it. They've been around a long time. We don't need it. And good bankers who are confident, who are strong in what they're doing, will do that. The ones that are probably not so much, will put it all in there and hope that you don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what you're seeing probably there. And some fashion. They also, all of them required a personal guarantee. The one we're going with though, I really appreciated they put the guarantee capped at the percentage of ownership of each of the partners. Oh, okay. So it's, it's, it was a, instead of, and we, yeah. we each roughly own a third. So yeah, I, th I thought that was nice. That's fair. Yeah. And Jay, you and I both know that th that was a, that was something that you and I worked for, for you, right? Like, let's get rid of the personal guarantees. And it, that's a good point. That That's let's segue a little or sidetrack for a sec. Personal guarantees, Len was masterful at helping me at Rapid in eliminating those and before that, reducing them. So a lot of times what I heard was you have to have a personal guarantee. And what Len taught me was the guarantee can be limited. It can be reduced over time. And if you are in a strong enough position, you can refuse one and they will go along with it. So. Yeah. And, and, and again, that is, that is, that is breaking through that ceiling of this is what the bank does. What can I do, Jay? Right. I can't do anything about it. Well, no, that, that's, that's okay. But you know, if I was, a, if I were in business for two years and I, and I wasn't making any money and I didn't have great, a great balance sheet, well, maybe that's true, but I've been in business for 15 years. I'm doing really well. I paid everything accordingly, blah, blah, blah. Then you've got ability to do it, but you got to you got to be able to like you and I created a plan together. You're giving me all the all the credit, but it's, but it's more you. We created a plan to say, what are we comfortable with, and let's present that. We presented the plan to the banks, and the banks said yes yeah. to it. Not they, because if but, we give and, it to them, and that's a great point too, because if you give them a solution, they don't have to think. They can either say yes or no, and that you make it easy for them. Yeah. And, and, and you know me, what, the way I like to do it is I never want a yes or no answer. I know you said that. I know, yes. I know that's not what you mean. You want to give them two options. So here's option yeah. one, guys. Eliminate the guarantee yep. today. Or option two is eliminate 80% guarantee this year, 75 next year, 50 of the year three, and 25 in year four. Well, yep. I like this one better. Okay, well, let's do that one. And that's what you do, right? I mean, 
it, it's yeah. uh, being proactive like that is is really really effective. It's more effective. And than people. I talk to so many owners who are second or third generation. There is a history there that bank should be taking into account, and if they aren't, there probably is another bank who will. You know, yeah. if you've been in business forty plus years and your numbers are solid, you know your financials are solid. You got lots of. You're probably going to be around for a while, right? You know, it's this is a plug for our company, but what we've been leaning into more lately is not more, but as well is helping those type of companies. We're working with one in down south of Florida and he had a relationship with an existing bank and, and our director of underwriting is helping him navigate. He, he was a $5 million company and that was a $30 million company going to a hundred million soon. And what he has now through this last two or three months, Jay, what he had before night and day. And, mm. and his knowledge is like, kind of like you 20 years ago is like, well, can I really get that? And now it's like, yeah, man, I, I'm going to ask for that. And if he's not going to get it, I'm going to get it somewhere else. And and because the good thing about having someone else help you, like, so I was your help for, for years, right? Yes. Now you have other people and you have yourself. But but you you could say, listen, Len and the company, they're going to talk to you. And then we, we, we could be the bad guys. And you can say, I don't know, man, Len's telling me I can do this. You're telling me I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to let you guys deal with it. So you maintain a relationship and, and we're kind of like the, the hammers, right? So mm-hmm. it's good sometimes... That, because these can be difficult conversations to have. I don't want to guarantee it. Well, you got to guarantee it. And sometimes having a third party help you with that, not all of cases, because not everybody can afford it or wants to do it, but it does help help you to say, just talk to Len about that. You know, 10 years ago, yeah. just talk to Len about that. And then I could be, you know, quote unquote, the bad guy. And, you know, that's not what I am, but you know how I mean. Right. Yep. It just removes you from that sort of dynamic in some ways to help you achieve it versus, you know, I guess, arguing, fighting, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Another, because the operating company is linked to the real estate, they asked for the guarantee of the operating company. And everybody asked for this. And in talking to the banker, I understand why. However, there is the chance that we might sell the operating company and keep the real estate. And... I brought that up to him and he said, well, yeah, we would rewrite the loan or amend it or whatever. And they would have to, you know, we'd have to have a good lease in place. And I said, I want that all up front. Exactly. I said, I don't want to be contingent, the sale of the business contingent upon the removal. Because, you know, somebody buying the business isn't going to sign up for a guarantee. For a hope. A guarantee. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So a little more work on their part up front. That's important though, because if you're thinking ahead and this is a real possibility, then I want it to be, I don't want to have to think about that. So, well, well, and that's well, something they agreed to. You're helping, you're, you're, without them knowing it truly, you're helping them too, because it all defines exactly all the iterations. And the problem is why banks don't want to do that is because it just won't work. And it's painful to think about, and it's it's, but but you absolutely doing that is good for you and the bank. They just don't know it. So smart for you to do it. And in fact, you and I, you and I did that a couple times to deals with banks in the in the past. And so that's so you're so ingrained here, Jay. Man, all this stuff comes so naturally to you. Now it's funny. See, you you know, <laughs> good teacher. You, you, could, you could be doing this podcast with yourself. <laughs> no. Well, so 
all of the all of them asked for the deposit accounts there. So essentially, we had to have have to have all our operating money and stuff in accounts with those banks. Is there a way to get out of that, or is that yeah something? So, yeah, that's yeah. not happening. Here's why. But I'll throw in I'll throw in a little bit of cash for now, and maybe in two years' time we can revisit it. Happens all the time. They will never, they will never, almost never give up a deal for that. Now, depending on the, if they're smaller banks and they really need the deposits or they are there, they think that you might be pushing stuff through the deposit, you know, from a fraudulent perspective, but, but you can get through that all the time, all the time. You can easily say to them, let's do it in a couple of years. And they'll be like, okay, we'll, we'll put it down for a couple of years and then we never go. <laughs> That's one of the easier things you can, you can, you, if you want to do it. Some people just good. Like see, good because that that one I wasn't sure about. Yes, you I, absolutely I, can. I haven't, I haven't I haven't asked for that one yet, so yeah. I am going to. Now, ask. now I will I will say this, Jay. Sometimes, sometimes you got to give them something. So yeah, like in your sort of analysis of, and I know you're like this, obviously, but in your in your world of must haves, like the haves, and that'd eh, be cool to have. I don't really care. Have the ones you don't care and give them back. So it's yeah. like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do that because it makes sense. You can ask for it, and then you can say, listen, I'll give you this if you give me that. I mean, that's that's just negotiation one-on-one, right? So have those yeah. things, and sometimes it's nice for them to, to feel like they're winning every now and again. And for you, it's like, eh, yes, not, no sweat off my back, I guess. Yeah. We'll wrap it up here. There's a They're going to do an environmental, and that's a, a, a real quick check. It's a paperwork thing. There's a cost yeah. there. You got to pay for it. You had to do for all real estate loans because you got to yeah. make sure that you're not on a, on yeah. a yeah, oil. We do have some loans to the partners. We're going to have to subordinate that to the banks. But however, they put language in that yep. that those could be paid off as long as we are current with our bank loans, Yeah, which, which I thought was fair. And I understand them wanting the protection. Yep. This one probably is a matter of how you like to approach it. We don't like to escrow our taxes. The three out of the four said you don't have to escrow the taxes. The bank who we're not escrowing taxes with now asked for it. <laughs> it's like, it's like, guys. They, they used to be very common, but it's a lot less common going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so hopefully if you've listened now, if you've got a term sheet, some of these things add a little color and flavor and give you some thoughts on what you what's important to you and where you, as Len was saying, things that you want to have and things you're willing to give up, give back to the bank and do the little dance. Most importantly though, what you get is not what you have to accept. Right, exactly. And you're gonna get such variation. It really was interesting putting it in the spreadsheet and, and seeing it side by side. And I will say that Len helped me, his business helped me, about three years ago, get a construction loan on a building that is now turning into principal and interest payments. It was interest payments only. And the variety of terms and conditions and interest rates and all that was, it was amazing how much, how different it was. And I'm so glad we went with the folks that we did because although we are transitioning from interest only to principal and interest in June, we are keeping the same interest rate of three and a quarter percent for three years. And in today's environment, it's like, that's Fantastic. I so, so grateful <laughs> that it's not resetting at whatever. Right. Um, so 
that was, thank you, Len. You saved me tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands over the next three years. Yeah, well, you know, no, it, it's it's fun to do those things. We I love doing them. We love doing them. And it's fun with have a, an intelligent person on the other side thinking about the things. But it's, it's, you know, it's the world we live in. It's ask for it and you shall receive if you do the right things up front and maintain relationships. But that's the fun part of what we do. That's for sure. We covered a lot of ground today. This has been a, a longer one, but I think really important if you're involved in financing right now. Anything else you want to add that we didn't cover? You covered a lot of things in the in the documents, but there are more affirmative and negative covenants that, that, that are negotiable. You don't have a lot, so that's mm. great. There are things like lines of credit, for example, where I, I'm being specific here, but there's sometimes mm -hmm. you have a line of credit that's on demand versus having a term. And, and the on-demand is a bad thing, in my opinion, because if a bank wakes up and yeah. says, we don't like that loan we gave to you four years ago, two days ago, three days ago, and we can call it today. So there, there are a lot of, a lot of important things in a term sheet and in the final documents that, in my opinion, it's always really good to have not only your attorney, but a good banker to look at that's not your banker, I think, anyway, because it does give you that second or third opinion, and you can oftentimes find stuff that even the smartest people won't do because they haven't looked at it. So I, th I think it's always good to get other perspectives when you're doing that stuff to optimize, really optimize your deal. Yeah, you you never want to put your business in jeopardy because somebody can pull the rug out from under you and demand cash when you you've you've got it tied up and whatever. Yeah, yeah, and and the legal jargon sometimes is difficult to comprehend unless you've seen a lot of them. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on again and giving us an update with what you're doing, how the banking, how the lending world is working today, and then getting into some of the specifics on term sheets. So much fun to chat with you as always, Len. I'm learning a lot, keep learning, and so happy for you with your company and the success that you're having. That's really cool. I appreciate it, Jay. It's been a lot of fun as always. We talk a lot, but we should do this in three or four more years and see what the world's like at that point in time too. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, what's your interest rate prediction? I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> oh gosh. It feels like inflation is not slowing down yet. So going to be a few more increases and then maybe leveling off and slowing down. So I'm thinking I don't see it declining for another six months, nine months. Yeah. It sucks for us, but that's okay. <laughs> well, if you are out there and you feel like banks have the upper hand, I really encourage you to reach out to Len and see if he and his company can be in your corner, help you like, like they helped me. And I wouldn't say this, except I more than made up the fee and in interest rate savings, plus covenants that were more in my favor. I really think working with someone like Len is a huge advantage and makes an equal playing field for you and the bank. So how can people reach you, Len? So our website is morrisseymetcalf.com. And my email is len at morrisseymetcalf.com. And uh, you can find out all our information there. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty well what you can do. I'm on LinkedIn all the time as well. We post three times a, a week. So we're pretty current, I guess. Excellent. Well, my challenge to somebody listening today is 
have the courage to look at the interest rate that you're getting from your bank right now. And once you look at that and you pick yourself up off the floor, maybe <laughs> find a Fidelity or Schwab or somebody who will give you both the safety and the interest rate that's fair today. Go Absolutely. Until next time, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to the Job Shop Show.